Hello and welcome to the Simongos podcast. This is episode 78 and today's topic is superior vena cava syndrome. Now this is a two-part lecture from the Pocketbook of Emergency Medicine. We'll be playing the first part on this podcast but you can watch both parts at www.continuous.com forward slash LP forward slash St. Mungo's. Now our speaker joined us on a call to give their top five pearls of wisdom so let's jump into that. I hope you enjoy this episode. So hello, Adriana, and welcome to the St. Mungo's podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to well, be able are, to share. Thank you. And we are absolutely delighted to have you here. Now, you very kindly gave a talk for us um, on the SPC syndrome, which we're going to play now on this episode. And uh, the listeners will have a chance to watch that wonderful lecture as well uh, on our special webpage. But you've kindly joined me today to give your top five pearls of wisdom. Just before you do that, Adriana, do you mind just for the benefit of our listeners, just letting them know uh, a little bit about you, where you are in the world and what your professional background is? Yes, uh I've been a physician for over 30 years, uh, and for the past 10 years, I focused on oncologic emergency care at MD Anderson Cancer Center, which uh, I'm proud to say has been the number one cancer center in the U.S. for many years now. Um, and my background, I've, I worked in county hospitals, I worked in s- small community hospitals, um, Fantastic. And now you're in a big, a big central uh, and and the first in the world. We had Monica Watna on recently and she told us about um, MD Anderson and its uh, its specific uh, nature is looking after uh, cancer patients with emergency medicine, which is fantastic. And your team have all provided wonderful talks on cancer related subjects. So thank you very much. Well, look, before we play your wonderful talk, you were going to give us your five pearls of wisdom. So over to you, Adriana. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, I'm flattered that you think it's wisdom, but um, so I'd say my first one is show up, come into work committed, be pleasant, positive. You are the leader, even if you don't think so, uh, you don't recognize that, set the tone. Uh, My second one would be um, for oncologic patients, assume they're sick. I think uh, when I look back at other places I've worked, the patient kind of had to convince me that this was something serious and pathologic, whereas in the oncologic emergency department or with oncologic patients, I feel that they have to prove that there is not something bad going on. Uh, For example, when they come in with shortness of breath, it's a pulmonary embolism until proven otherwise. Um, The third thing would be let the patient lead. I think, um, you know, uh, for a lot of these patients, life is short. And if they want to spend their final days at home, um, if they don't want to spend their final days in an intensive care unit attached to machines, have that conversation. I can't tell you how many times I've had to pull back residents and fellows from coding the patient because they haven't asked upfront, what is the patient's goal in their life? Um, My fourth thing would be, uh, we have the good fortune of having a lot of subspecialists. So I would say, 
Don't be embarrassed to ask a friend. If someone's available with greater expertise than you, draw them in and give the patient the best care they can get. Uh, five would be, uh, I'd say, extend grace to your colleagues. Uh, you see someone screwing up or not doing what you think they should be. I would just assume that they came into work with the best intentions. They're trying to do their best. And so, um, you know, don't go blaming them. Just give them some grace. Is that four or five? <laughs> that was five, but keep going. <laughs> Have you oh, any more? Okay, no, I'm done. So thank you very much. Uh, Brilliant. Well, look, I, we're gonna we're gonna jump into your talk. Thank you very much. Okay. Hi, my name is Dr. Adriana Wexler, and I am uh, an assistant professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine at MD Anderson Cancer Center here in Houston, Texas. Uh, and I'm going to be speaking to you about superior vena cava syndrome as part of our oncologic emergencies series. So it's easy for me working in an oncologic emergency department to think of the superior vena cava syndrome. Of course, all our patients have cancer and it comes up in the differential. But when I worked in a general emergency department, I probably hadn't thought of it uh, since med school. It was not at the top of my differential ever. So my first objective here is to make sure you don't miss the diagnosis. My second is to help you determine whether it's an emergency. And then finally, how to disposition the patient and begin management. Over 60% of the time, SVC is the first presentation of malignancy. So you won't really be expecting uh, superior vena cava syndrome as a complication of cancer because you don't know the patient has cancer um, and you won't be looking for a malignancy. Um, the definition of superior vena cava syndrome is decreased venous return to the heart due to the obstruction of the superior vena cava. And as mentioned, our two learning objectives today is to recognize it, determine if it's an emergency, and then manage it. On the right is a diagram from the New England Journal of Medicine uh, review from 2007. That is a seminal article everyone refers to. And frankly, I have not found that much of the data it records has changed since then. Uh, but realistically, you're not going to remember exactly how the azygous vein helps you determine the site of the obstruction, which is one of the main, you know, one of the points made in the article, or what type of stent is best to use. What you know is how. What you need to know is how extensive a workup you need and who to call. We're going to uh, proceed through some case studies. It's the way I personally learn, and uh, these cases are based on patients I have seen and treated, so I have changed details, of course, to protect uh, their health record. Uh, the first case is NOLA. She is a college girl who presents with puppy face and headache. She's visiting home for the holidays and she's brought in by her mother with a complaint of puppy face. 
Uh, the ESI creator level is four, doesn't look very thick. She has no past medical history, no medications, no allergies. Uh, you are really diligent and you get that social and family history, nothing really concerning. She binge drinks as is typical of a college student and has occasionally used marijuana. On reveal systems, you know, no new cosmetics. She is mildly short of breath and endorses a 10-pound weight loss, and she's a little slow to respond to your questions. Physical exam, uh, she's afebrile. She's a little tachycardic at 110. Blood pressure is 98 over 55, which may be the norm for a young woman her age. And respirations are 22. O2 that is 94% on room air. Notable findings are some periorbital edema and distended neck vein. Distended neck vein. Uh, you feel some lymphadenopathy in the uh, supraclavicular region, but it's mobile and it doesn't concern you too much on lung. She's clear. Her heart is regular, but a little tachycardic, and her abdomen is soft. So this is, of course, not her, but I put this up just to uh, help us visualize facial edema and review our differential diagnosis. Of course, angioedema is what we have to rule out in many of these patients, uh, but it could also be an allergic reaction, particularly to cosmetics in a young woman, some sort of dermatitis that is just presenting hypothyroidism. Uh, in its later stages can give you mixed edema and a lot of swelling, and it does present in this age group. Uh, subcutaneous emphysema is typically a complication of a procedure, but sometimes we, we see it uh, when a blood bursts. Um, but of course, drug or alcohol abuse, we all know we have to put that in our differential in the emergency department. Um, and so as you're reassuring the family that she just looks a little different because they haven't seen her in a few months, maybe there's a new cosmetic causing an allergic reaction, and you're getting ready to discharge her. When the nurse calls you back, the mother's very upset, and uh, she says, you know, you haven't done anything, she's looking worse, and you take another look at her, and oh my gosh, she does look worse. The swelling has progressed. And uh, you wonder, why would a young, healthy woman have JVD, which you noticed on your first round of uh, evaluation? So you decide to go ahead and get a chest x-ray. And here's our chest x-ray. It shows a widened mediastinum, a small floral effusion. So you're like, something's going on here. You expand your differential. What could cause a widened mediastinum floral effusion, rapidly progressive facial edema, and JVD. Putting it all together, you revise your differential, think back on your med school lectures, and you remember about something called SVC syndrome and wonder if that's what she might be exhibiting. So how do you make the diagnosis? Well, what are the signs and symptoms? Uh, 82% of patients present with facial edema. 63 uh, present with distended neck and sometimes chest vein distension. 
Often dyspnea is actually only present in about half of the patients. Uh, so the three most common presentations, again, are facial edema, neck and chest vein distension, sometimes with collateralization, cough, and or dyspnea. But, you know, note here that half of the patients don't have respiratory symptoms. So you can't dismiss the diagnosis if they are not present. Facial edema may be more prominent in the morning, uh, after you've been recumbent overnight, or in patients if they've been waiting and lying in a gurney in your ER for a long time. Symptoms typically progress over several weeks, not as quickly as we saw in our patients. Less common symptoms include hoarseness, headache or confusion, cyanosis. Once the edema proceeds to the pharynx, airway, or brain, there is a spectrum in presentation from mild hoarseness to strider and even airway compromise, from headache to confusion and even obtundation or coma. These symptoms denote a more advanced course of SVC with significant obstruction. Our patient Nola had some hoarseness and headaches, so her symptoms suggested severe obstruction of the SVC. The final thing I want to show you is the cool sign that you can impress your medical students with. It's called the Pemberton sign, which is demonstrated in these photographs up top. You can watch. Uh, it refers to exaggeration of edema and flushing and perhaps cyanosis when the patient's arms are placed overhead. That is because you're increasing venous return to the head. And actually, this is uh, you can elicit this in many, many patients. Um, the mechanism behind the symptoms of SVC are related to the vascular anatomy. The vena cava returns about a third of the body's blood back to the heart. With obstruction, blood backs up into the tributaries of the brachiocephalic and subclavian veins, which is why you get the characteristic venous distension over the chest and sometimes even the abdominal wall. These collaterals are signs of a slowly progressive obstruction from an indolent tumor. If, uh, for example, it's an acute presentation from a thrombus, uh, you would not see these collaterals developing. Obstruction of return flow from the jugular veins can lead to facial edema as well as cerebral and pharyngeal edema, syncope, hypotension, and even hemodynamic compromise, as we've just uh, reviewed. And the symptoms, uh, I'm not going to go through these details, but you can track them to the uh, vessels that are obstructed here, which are listed uh, brachiocephalic, axillary, subclavian, jugular, lateral, thoracic, thoraco, epigastric, and thoracodorsal. Moving on to the etiology of FCC. Um, originally, when it was first described in the 1700s, it was mainly related to vascular abnormalities such as saccular aortic aneurysm, typically from things like syphilis and TB. And indeed, until about four or five decades ago, infectious causes accounted for most cases. But now, aortic aneurysms have been replaced by malignancy as the most common cause. So intravascular devices, as we place more and more of them, our patients are gaining an incidence and are up to almost 40% of the cases in some reports. 
or the percentage of patient of uh, SBC. And it's the most common etiology, of course, in benign cases. Thrombus in the vessel can be related to trauma from tick lines, migrating pacer wires, uh, and these also can occur in cancer patients. Uh, though the obstruction from a tumor is most likely, they can also get the vascular complications. So you have to consider those. Uh, I like this uh, simple diagram because it shows the vessels in relation to the adjacent organ structures and how close they are and how susceptible to mass effect uh, the vessels can be. Here's a breakdown of the type of tumors most often involved, uh, returning back to that seminal article from the New England Journal that I mentioned. Uh, it combines multiple studies, and it shows that the majority of the malignant causes are lung cancer or lymphoma. Uh, together, lymphoma and can lung cancer account for nearly 85% of cases of malignant SBC syndrome. So when you're assessing your patient, take time to broaden your evaluation, looking for symptoms of occult malignancy, weight loss, shortness of breath, excessive fatigue, fevers or night sweats, or symptoms that may help you identify the tumor type. For example, a heavy smoking history and cough that's been chronic and suggestive of lung cancer. If we think back on Nola, she had some symptoms that could have tipped us toward a diagnosis immediately. She had some weight loss, lymphadenopathy, which in her age group could be mononucleosis, but could also be lymphoma, uh, which is the most common cancer, one of the most common cancers to affect her age group. So the diagnosis is really based on having a high index of suspicion based on the clinical picture and recognizing the common symptoms of superior vena cava uh, syndrome that we already discussed. Um, clinical suspicion is the most, the first and primary factor uh, in making the diagnosis, and imaging will confirm your suspicion. Chest x-ray is always the initial test, and then diagnosis is confirmed by CT. Chest X-ray findings include mediastinal winding, as we saw, a lung mass, pleural effusion, and indwelling devices such as pacer wires or lines. Um, but uh, biopsy is the issue, and ultimately, the diagnosis is confirmed on uh, on biopsy. Here we have some examples, though, of what you can see on a chest CT. Uh, CT should always be a contrast study. It is preferred over ultrasound, MRA, and venogram, and is more easily obtained in most uh, settings, uh, even in resource-poor areas. It can give clues to the etiology of the obstruction as well as diagnosing it, and it can tell you if it's external compression, such as seen on the right, or thrombosis uh, or clot, which can be tumor or uh, a, a platelet collection, uh, and that is visualized on the left. In the 
uh, on those coronal vision uh, images, you can see how the clot is invading and obstructing the SVC, and you can also see there's no contrast in the vessel where I put the little arrow there. Uh, on the left, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm getting out my, my left and right um, confused here, but uh, there's a large mediastinal lymph node obstructing the SVC, which is indicated by the arrowhead. Imaging is likely where your evaluation will end in the emergency department, but it is important to have an overall understanding of the diagnosis or what set off uh, the SBC and workup to properly uh, be able to triage the patient. Most SBC syndromes were previously considered emergencies, but now they are more often thought of as an urgency. You can stop and have a cup of coffee and think about the diagnosis, work it up slowly. Uh, emergent cases require that you place the patient in an upright position to help reduce the accumulation of blood uh, because it's dependent somewhat. Oxygen support, steroids and diuretics have not been shown to be effective, uh, though people still use them. They're usually not harmful, though steroids may uh, mask some biopsies and treatment be contraindicated in treatment. So I would definitely not go there. Uh, and then um, consults, rapid consults to oncology, cardiology, interventional radiology, or radiation oncology may be called for. Um, so If uh, you have one of those emergent situations, you need to consider whether your institution will be able to manage the patient and have those uh, subspecialties available, readily available. You can't wait necessarily till the next morning. And if not, you may have to transfer the patient. Um, as previously mentioned, over 60% of the time, uh, SBC is the first presentation of the malignancy. So you don't know the type of cancer or the aggressiveness of the tumor uh, in the emergency department, but it is important to know because it will help um, help you uh, understand the response to different treatment modalities and will guide your management of the patient. For example, um, You have some very chemosensitive cancers, such as lymphoma, small lung cells, small cell lung cancer, germ cell tumors that would experience a rapid clean clinical response from systemic chemotherapy. And so those patients would not necessarily go for interventional radiology or uh, radiation, whereas less responsive tumors, such as non-small cell lung cancer, may need a stent while treatment is ongoing. As always, Issue is the issue, and you go for what's most easily accessible lymph nodes, or in our patient, we could probably do our source and T-sips and get cytology from her floral effusion. Um, not many people recommend uh, mediastinoscopy and bronchoscopy because there's respiratory complications and bleeding, and usually uh, with those upper thoracic tumors, uh, it is not that hard to get fresh from Lenny's nose. Patients with 
lymphoma, small cell, lung cancer, and germ cell tumors should experience a rapid clinical response uh, from systemic chemotherapy and uh, interventional treatments like stenting, which are invasive, may not be necessary and are of questionable benefit. So what happened to Nola? Well, she was admitted to the hospital because of the rapid progression of edema and severe obstruction with uh, found on her CT with possible pharyngeal and cerebral effects suggested by her hoarseness and headache. A stent was emergently placed in her SVC. On average, uh, patients with um, SVC syndrome don't live more than six months because it's typically a sign of an advanced cancer, but uh, lymphoma, especially Hodgkin's lymphoma, is extremely treatable in our day and age. And fortunately, our patient responded to chemoradiation, which was started immediately, and she graduated college two years later. So that was a happy, happy story. And you made uh, thanks to your diagnosis. Well, look, Adriana, thank you very much for that wonderful talk. Absolutely fantastic. And the preceding uh, wonderful pearls of wisdom. Before we let you go, Adriana, we always finish with one final question for all of our guests, if that's okay. So if I could bring you back on a time machine uh, to meet your junior self, just leaving university about to start your career, given the experience that you've had since then, what's, what's one piece of advice you would give that junior you? I would say you got this to them because I think it's very stressful coming out, discovering that you you know the uh, the buck stops with you. You're you're the fine. <laughs> There's no one else to blame, no one else to go up and ask. Uh, but you are well trained. You can only help the patient. They're sick. They don't know what's going on. You can only help. That's a wonderful way to end. Well, Adriana, thank you so much for uh, all that you've given us uh, today and for your wonderful talk. And thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. So many, many thanks again to Adriana for her wonderful talk and the wonderful pearls of wisdom. Remember, you can watch both parts of this lecture at www.continuous.com forward slash LP forward slash St. Mungo's. Until next time, please take care.